This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. The Global Polio Eradication Initiative, the largest private-public partnership for health, has reduced polio by 99% worldwide. But that wasn't the case in the 1950s in this country, when polio continued to be a major cause of death and paralysis for children and for others. Here to share her own story with us about her bout with polio and beyond is Janice Flood Nichols. She's a polio survivor and polio eradication activist. Miss Nichols joins us from her home in Lockport, New York, via the telephone. Welcome to you, Miss Nichols. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Janice, help set the stage for us. Where were you? How old were you when you contracted polio? My twin brother Frankie and I were in first grade in DeWitt, New York. Uh, Within just a few days in fall 1953, eight children out of a classroom of 24 children had been diagnosed with paralytic polio. Within 20 days, 13 people in our little suburb had been um, diagnosed with polio, 12 children and one young mom. In the end, three children died, my twin brother Frankie and two sisters. They did not die immediately. They died over time, but of complications from polio. It was a terrible, terrible time, not only in our country, but around the globe. Yes, it sounds like it was very frightening. And at that time, there really was nothing that people could do, was there? Well, um, it was just before the 1954 polio vaccine trial. So once we got to the trial and the licensing of the polio vaccine in 1955, we finally had hope. The only thing that could be done when we had our epidemic was gamma globulin. And that's a blood component. And they had found from about two years before that sometimes if they timed a dose of gamma globulin just right, once a person was infected but maybe not showing symptoms yet, or was in an epidemic area but was not infected, they found that sometimes a dose of gamma globulin could either lessen a case of polio or sometimes even prevent the case completely. So there was something that they could do, but not much. And as you said, in your own neighborhood, how many children that you know of actually died from this? Well, it was not my neighborhood. It was my suburb of DeWitt. Okay. Uh, You know, and um, three children died. My twin brother died. I was admitted to the hospital on the night that Frankie was buried. And later on that week, my mom had a miscarriage. There were two other sisters, um, or two sisters. One, uh, Patty Lunson, was in my class. And her older sister, Cheryl, also died of polio complications, but not immediately like my twin. My twin only lived 61 hours from the time he was admitted to the hospital and died. Wow. Were children paralyzed? Were you paralyzed? Um, Yes, I was, temporarily. But I made uh, a miraculous recovery. I received incredible help at City Hospital in Syracuse, and that was the hospital for communicable diseases at the time. The staff had gone out to the Midwest to receive training on the most up-to-date treatments of polio, which were very drastic than what they used to do. They used to keep people in bed and cast them and splint them in the hopes that they could uh, decrease deformity. But what they did is they just decreased uh, muscle activity. So people ended up more and more deformed with more disability. 
So they learned in the 1940s that the best thing to do was to get people up and going as soon as possible. So as soon as I woke up, for the first few days I had a very high temperature. They didn't know whether I would live or not. But when I woke up, my heart therapy began. And they used to bring us to a whirlpool room in the hospital where our therapists were oftentimes in the pools with us, moving our legs up and down, up and down. Some kids had to go to long-term rehab facilities. My family had the ability to pay for private daily physical therapy for me. So that's what I received when I was discharged from the hospital. That therapy went on on a daily basis until sometime um, in second grade. And at that point, the, my parents just re-enrolled me with every physical activity that I had um, enjoyed before I contracted polio. My motivation was to put on my ballet slippers. I had started dancing when I was three years old, and I loved to dance like all little kids. And so I was re-enrolled in that. Uh, I ultimately took a lot of ice skating classes and skated in shows. I even was a sub-cheerleader in, in high school for my brother's school, CBA. Um, I made a miraculous recovery, but I, I feel that the care that I received at Upstate initially and over time through my physicians and because of the love and support I had from my family and from my neighborhood made an incredible difference for me. Some kids were shunned, but no one was shunned in our neighborhood. Yeah, you said some kids were shunned. Now, this was going on throughout the country. This wasn't just hitting DeWitt, New York, obviously. Throughout the world. Yes. Right. So the kids in, in DeWitt were not shunned, but children and young adults in general were oftentimes shunned not only in the United States, but throughout the whole world. Polio was something that was hitting hard throughout the developed world in particular. Today, it's in the developing world, but back then, it was the developed world that was really being hammered. Uh, The United States had more cases than any other country in the world, but actually the highest per capita incidence took place in 1953, our year in Canada. Wow. So we were all being hammered all over the world. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with polio survivor Janice Flood-Nichols. We're talking about her bout with polio and beyond it. So, Janice, during that time, you said it was 53. You were saying it was Late just... Late 1953. Right. Just before the trials began for the first polio vaccine. Tell us about what you remember about that time in terms of the vaccine coming out. Were you vaccinated following your bout with polio, for example? Okay. In April of 1954, there were trials that took place throughout the country in Canada and also in Finland. Just under 2 million children, in primarily in first, second, and third grade, we were the kids who were most susceptible to the virus were vaccinated or got a placebo and then had to actually receive the polio vaccine. Um, Decisions to let kids be in the trial were made on a a school district level. And in DeWitt, New York, because everyone remembered the the epidemic uh, that took place just months before, 89% of the parents agreed to let their children be in the trial either receiving the vaccine, a placebo, or as a control group. It was the first big double-blind study that had ever been done, and to this day it remains the largest vaccine trial in the history of the world. Now, this I was, for was the, allowed... Sorry, this was for the Sauk vaccine, the first vaccine. Yes, the Sauk vaccine, yep. 
And that's actually a, a more refined version of that vaccine is the vaccine that children in our country get today mm-hmm. and will ultimately be given to children all over the world. Um, I actually was allowed to be in the trial. I don't think today they would have allowed it because they know more about uh studies, vaccine studies today, and they would not have wanted a child who had a natural immunity to one of the three viral types to probably be in the study. But they didn't know as much back then. And the other thing is I don't think the school district would have denied my parents. They had one child die. They didn't know if I was going to make it at first. My mom suffered a miscarriage, and people just couldn't say no to that. Of course. I was fortunate that I received the vaccine So I didn't end up having to come back and get three more shots in the fall. So I was actually getting the vaccine. I needed it because there are three viral types for polio. I would only have natural natural immunity to the one type that I had. So I needed the vaccine just as much as other kids needed it. Did you experience, I mean, what what was the feeling during that whole time, both before the vaccine became available and once it became available in terms of just people's um, sense of safety, you know, with regard to polio? People were terrified of polio. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Frankie and I were little, so we didn't understand all the fears that our parents and and our, our friends' parents had and relatives. But there were a lot of restrictions. We were not allowed to swim in a public pool. Uh, people thought that if you swim, swam in a public pool, you would contract polio for sure. We weren't allowed to go to large gatherings. Some kids weren't even allowed to go to church, especially during the summer months when sometimes polio was more prevalent. Um, they, they were spraying DDT in parts of the country where there were bad epidemics. Schools were closed. Businesses were closed. People were terrified because you could literally have a perfectly healthy child or young adult fine one day and perhaps dead or paralyzed by the next day. Like I mentioned earlier, my twin was dead within 61 hours of being admitted to the hospital. So it was a terrifying time. Yeah. And once the vaccine came about and there was a sense that we could prevent it, did you have some sense um, in your community or in the environment at large in terms of a sense of relief or, you know, a sense of perhaps ex- exhilaration at the fact that perhaps we could prevent this from happening? Um, I think at that point, you know, our parents had just been through World War II. They really believed in the power of science and the power of medicine, very different than the skepticism that, that unfortunate, unfortunately some people have today. Especially so about believe, vaccines. Right, right. Um, it's a small group of people, but they're very, very verbal and causing real issues and confusion for many young parents. But I think my parents felt that, that we would ultimately be able to eradicate the disease. It's taken a long, long time, but we're almost there. Yeah. Uh, today, we only have 14 cases worldwide uh, during 2016. It so is, we're going to get there. We are, and it's very exciting to see. Um, right now, I, I just want to ask you, we, we don't have a lot of time left. You are currently, do you do experience some post-polio syndrome, you know, a post-polio symptoms. Are they uh, troublesome to you? Just tell us briefly about those. I call them more annoyance than anything else at my point. I'm very lucky. There are people literally back on respirators and in wheelchairs. I'm still going under my own steam. Mm -hmm. I pay a great deal of attention to 
what I should and should not do in terms of post-polio. Uh, it, it's kind of a weird situation because if you overtax your muscles, you can sometimes go backwards uh, faster and, and have more problems. So I pay a lot of attention to making sure that I stay active but not overtaxing myself to a mm-hmm. point where I end up in a wheelchair. I don't know what the future is going to hold for me. But right now I'm walking under my own steam. I have kind of a, a dull pain in my arms and legs all the time. But I take an aspirin a day, and that just kind of takes the edge off of it. Wonderful. Um, I've lost enormous strength in my hands as well as my legs, but I, I'm i a swanky kid. And, and how old are you now? I will be 69 on June 28th. Wonderful. And um, I just, I guess I just want to keep going and do as much as I can. I'm very thankful for my recovery. I'm a very, very lucky woman, and I have to use my fortune to encourage people to vaccinate their kids, not only against uh, polio, but against all vaccine-preventable diseases. I think that's... And I'm also very thankful to Upstate because if I had received care in a place that wasn't up on the latest techniques, I don't know if I would have the good fortune that I have today. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your perspective, and clearly um, your advocacy for, you know, uh, to have vaccines available to people who need them. And as you said, for vaccine-preventable diseases is, is crucially important today. I want to thank you once again for joining us. My guest has been polio survivor and polio eradication advocate Janice Flood Nichols. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. <laughs> 